Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I am one of your hosts from Jacksonville, Florida. Chris Waterman joined this evening by Mae Finch, also hey of Jacksonville. And we have Will Rotondi from Greenville, South Carolina, not Salt Lake City, Utah, as we established last episode. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Not too bad. This is going to be part one of our versus mode for There Will Be Blood versus No Country for Old Men. We decided to divide, divide up the episodes to, to keep the episode links in check. We are verbose, so uh, we wanted to allow ourselves time to, to discuss the films and uh, have a good time um, debating uh, the various aspects of them without running. Uh, I think our last one was almost two hours, if, I, if memory serves. So, And that was edited down <laughs> as much as I could. Um, so hopefully you listeners appreciate that as well. So today's episode, we are starting with There Will Be Blood. But first, we are going to uh, celebrate a little milestone in cinema history. On this day in 1979, at the 32nd Con Film Festival, Apocalypse Now, directed, of course, by Francis Ford Coppola, um, won the Palm d'Or, along with a film title that I am probably going to butcher, but Die Biechtomel, directed by Volker Schlondorf. I've heard of one of those movies, not the other, but I didn't know that you could get, um, you know, a joint Palm d'Or at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. So I learned something new today. Uh, I thought it was awarded to just one film, but I suppose if um, they can't make up their minds, they'll give out two of them, which is okay. Uh, I just rewatched Apocalypse Now for no other particular reason than I, I love that movie. And I hadn't seen the latest cut. Um, have you guys ever seen Apocalypse Now? Any iteration of it? No, but I feel like we are in an apocalypse now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. How about you, Will? A little too real. Uh, actually, <laughs> I've seen it. It's been a while. I would definitely go back and be willing to watch because Chris was talking before we we started on about how it's been there's a few different versions that are out there um, but I don't remember which one I've seen so I would be interested to, I don't think I've seen like the extended extended cut I, I don't think I've sat down for about four hours uh, so there's... I probably watched whatever like the the least longest version is <laughs> is there a, a very version easy where... way to know oh. oh go ahead sorry is there a version where Harrison Ford is doing a voiceover because I definitely want to watch that one um, there is a version uh actually all the versions contain harrison ford um, who uh because of the prolonged shoot of this movie like they did not know by the time it was released that he was going to be a megastar from star wars so um notoriously long film shoot out in the jungles uh leading to the heart attack of martin sheen uh several nervous breakdowns of francis ford coppola amongst other things the the filmmaking story behind that movie is legendary but uh you do get actually um some some harrison ford believe it or not i know you're being cheeky but uh he is in all versions and will uh the way to know if you've seen the long one is there's a extended sequence in a french plantation so if you've seen if that rings any kind of bell and it's all about like you know mm. um the failure of like modern colonialism and there's this whole political discussion uh, again some people found to be boring and dry they kept most of that into the most recent version which is kind of the 
splitting of the difference, I guess you could call it. Um, I think it's a very interesting little meditation, um, but it does kind of slow the movie down a bit. But you, does that ring a bell at all? Vaguely. So I, I may have seen <laughs> like the shorter of the two then at that point. But yeah, I'd have to go back and watch it again, which I would be willing to do because it has been probably... I feel like most of the like the classic films we talk about, it's been since college, at least. So yeah. it's always worth a, a, a rewatch in my mind. It's such a brilliant movie. Um, and it's so atypical for a war movie. I think that's what has always mm-hmm. kind of drawn me to it. Like when I watch a Saving Private Ryan or a Platoon, like it's like that's what people think of when you think of a war movie. Apocalypse Now maybe has like some elements of that, but it's such a weird psychological trip um and it, it just feels unlike anything i mean it's adapted from a joseph conrad you know novel um mm. it's a heart of darkness so um it has this weird you know element to it that if you've seen it you know if you haven't um and you've never considered it because it's a war movie i i encourage you to it's something so far out of the box for that genre to, to give it a go well, anyway, uh, happy anniversary to Apocalypse Now and your Palm d'Or. I hope I'm saying that. Right. I think that's how you pronounce that. Like I'm, I haven't had French since high school, but um, I believe that isn't that Golden Apple. Somebody fact checked me. Is that right? Isn't that what that translates to, rough, roughly? Nope. Yeah. No. Maybe. My semester of college s- French is failing me right now. I'm sorry. Golden Leaf, maybe something Leaf. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, uh, as we've said in the uh, session zero, we are not experts, so, and we will make mistakes. Um. Without further ado, let's go ahead and draw us a side quest and uh, see what we get here. I always forget you guys can't see these. So I could have just lied to you like every time. Right. Although I suppose you can, you can watch the published <laughs> video version. Ooh, all right. So we have a Deus Ex Machina, which I believe this is a first time for this one. Talk about the moment in a film where you could no longer suspend disbelief for the sake of the plot, character, etc. So, um, where your your sense of dis, or your uh, suspension of disbelief failed you? Anybody have an example of this? I can tell my story about Inception kind of fills into this like Ooh. a little bit. Please do. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I'd be. Well, I'd love to hear that. So I know uh, much to the disappointment and shock of both of you at a recent episode, I said that I hated Inception. (laughs) I've not watched it since I saw it in the theaters. Um, But for me, where I I had a a hard time and ultimately could not wrangle with this movie was um, why I should care about one of these companies, corporations over the other. Like I know... The Leonardo DiCaprio character is sort of the emotional core. And I think his story is, um, is interesting, like his personal story. But um, I found that after a certain, it was about an hour 15 into this, like I was staring at my watch, hoping for time to fast forward because there was a sequence where um, it's a bunch of nondescript men in skis and ski masks chasing somebody down a hill and shooting at them. And I'm like, what is happening here? Why do I care? Like, who are these people? There's nobody to latch on to besides DiCaprio. And I don't really know what the motivations are. I mean, I do like they, they want to, um, you know, successfully pull off that mind heist or whatever, but I'm like, why should I care? And I, I just felt like there was no antagonist kind of like 
pushing against that like in any interesting way and uh yeah about an hour 15 minutes into that movie i just I, I couldn't be bothered to care anymore. Like I, I was like, I don't think there's anything more to this. I think, I think it was a stunning film um, special effects wise. I think there's some really interesting concepts and ideas. I just, um, I just couldn't be bothered to care. Um, and it's disappointing because I know people love that and I should give it another watch, right? Like a, there's a lot of water under the bridge and perhaps I'll find something, you know, I think every movie deserves at least a second chance, you know, Unless it's trolls too, and then I think you're a troll too, and then then you know what you're you know what you're in for. Um, so yeah, that's my example. I, I'll I'll turn it over to you. I know I'm the minority in this, so please berate me all you want. I've heard it all before. <laughs> I mean, I so I feel similarly about a lot of Nolan movies. I will say, um, I'm not there for the plot. I'm there for the like interesting setup and the vibes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Also, like, I feel like a lot of my love for Inception is tied to the fact that I'm pretty sure it was the first PG-13 like movie I was allowed to see. Gotcha. So nice. I was like, oh, yeah, this is hardcore. Love this. Like, <laughs> I think I was very into it specifically because of my age at the time. Um, and yeah, just like the kind of like cool ideas it plays with. I think I was more interested in seeing kind of like what they were going to do in the world than really caring about the stakes. But I will agree that in a lot of Nolan movies, I'm confused about the stakes and why I should care. So unless there's a lot of visual kind of eye candy and interesting things happening, I'm going to lose interest. Yeah, yeah I couldn't really I understand why. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, no sorry. Will. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. <laughs> no, I was just going to say I could understand from a certain like for me watching it too, I sort of wondered why the team like trusted DiCaprio's character because it's like ultimately he's the one person who's hindering everything that they're doing because of when he conjures up in his mind, you know, his dead wife. And so that for me, I thought, why, why do you trust him? And why is he leaving your team? And maybe you should just leave him out and then everybody else can, you know, do their thing. But yeah, that was that for me, I, I found that very strange in terms of the plot. Um, but the I guess the only other part during that film where I sort of felt like things were confusing was when you're trying to keep track of how time is going in each like set of like how deep you are in the dream versus the real world and how much time is going by simultaneously and then suddenly people are doing things faster than it seemed like they were doing them before depending on the you know the cuts and, and all of that and so it was sort of like I kind of go along with it for the sake of suspense but some of that seemed a little bit like could that really have been done with enough time or, you know, what's going on? So I can, I can definitely follow your train of thought on that. I'm glad you bring up suspense because like one of the, the pillars of suspense is that you have to care about mm. the characters. So again, technically speaking, they had all everything there brilliantly set up to like, to have suspense. It's just that, because I lacked any sort of like empathy or, or sympathy or like, it's just, it was all full on apathy for me. Like um, whether they succeeded or failed was irrelevant to, like to me. And um, it's just, it was, I mean, I, I felt like such, um, you know, like a Martian talking to people about that movie because I was like, man, no, I, I hated it. Uh, that movie had such a negative, like profoundly negative effect on me and like my perceptions of hip and his stuff that, I didn't see the prestige, which I think was that after that or before, but I hadn't seen it. Mm -hmm. um, 
I didn't seek it out till years and years later um, because it was sort of like an inside joke on a podcast that I really like. And I was like, well, now I have to like, I have to watch this because um, I, I need to understand where all these jokes are coming from. Um, but Interstellar, like I, I, I skipped that like altogether. And then like, as I kind of backtracked and, and started watching some stuff, like I realized I just kind of have a, a love hate relationship like with uh with christopher nolan like I either like love his stuff or, or i loathe it there's really no in between like memento is a great example of one that i think is high concept um that um is incredible like yeah it has a convoluted plot um but like the more you learn about that character and and kind of especially on like subsequent rewatches like i think it has the opposite effect where like you're so invested in that part there's so much sympathy there um, he's kind of an asshole based on what he, I don't want to spoil what he does at the end of the movie, but it essentially does something that is going to um, result in somebody like who arguably doesn't deserve to die, like dying, you know, because um, he's a little bit bitter about something, but like uh, any, in any event, like, I don't know. I find that a high concept movie that works in a way that just Inception doesn't. And it, it, oddly enough, I was with, I'm with Christopher Nolan through all like the world building in that. That's not what like, ultimately like led to my like dis disbelief like i was on board for all of it i think it is a very cool concept but just yeah the lack of uh like i said uh i don't know caring about character characters or their motivations just sunk the whole thing yeah i think another reason i didn't have that problem with inception is just because again i was a 13 year old girl had just seen titanic and i was totally <laughs> in love with leonardo dicaprio <laughs> that's fair he's a he's a he's a handsome chap i mean listen like so nah, he had my sympathy yeah. regardless <laughs> he's just trying to yeah. get back to his kids man just trying to get back to his kids <laughs> No, no, nothing against his performance really anybody's performance like you know elliot page awesome in that like i think um there's a lot of cool stuff like just doesn't come together and again i, I know um <laughs> this will be a watch this will be the video that gets like three thousand comments like, like what? <laughs> <laughs> the nolan stands are gonna come out of the woodwork and get me but yeah we thrive hey, on controversy <laughs> yeah exactly like i was the one who wasn't really big on the godfathers i mean we can just start shooting them all off over here man like it's okay let's, <laughs> let's do it yeah we can add a new segment that's like um i don't know like uh we'd have to come up with a clever title but essentially you just you throw out a hot take and you 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 sacrifice yourself to the, to the mercy of the uh the internet with your how about hot your, take hot potato hot take Ooh. hot potato i like it <laughs> absolutely well, thanks for letting me um, uh, ramble on about um, why a beloved movie didn't work for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, if does anybody have anything to add about Inception before we move on? I think it's got yeah. really great music. Yeah, but I think Hans that's usually Mo. Yeah, I feel like that's ah. that'll that'll hold you. It's the it's the big loud boas like, and oh. again should give it another shot like that's just what stood out to me but like i felt myself gritting my teeth like in the theater being like whoa okay yeah uh, See, which that's, is that's I, where i disagree chris <laughs> again <laughs> i draw the I, line at Hans zimmer <laughs> i fully i fully admit that um like it's been a long time there's probably other elements to that score that i don't remember i just remember the boise uh, which, weird because he's got similarly similarly loud sequences in blade runner that i love um and interstellar yeah, yep. yeah I, I haven't seen that still yet oh. like, 
little traumatized. I just assumed it was going to be shite, so I didn't watch it, but I should it's probably. Fine. Okay. I'll You'll hear it'll be loud. It will be, that was when Nolan was like, let's just, we're going to crank that music up to like 20. Forget 10, man. We're just going, we're going to double it. And you're just going to hear a lot of music assaulting your ears. And <laughs> you might hear what people are saying at some points, but that's not really important. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think modern film in general is like, that's kind of an issue, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think there's like, there's some weird sound mi- mixing happening um as was it you may that um sent an article to us or that might have been another group chat that was like modern sound mixing and like why more and more people are using subtitles i feel like it was you but maybe not i don't remember um but that is a problem (laughs) I, i i say as someone who uses subtitles pretty much every single time i watch something Yep. Yeah, I've started um, doing that a lot too, my wife and I, because it's like, I don't know, yeah, sometimes you just can't, you can't really, hear, or you think that you can hear it, but it's like the subtitles definitely clarify like a, a cut, like a line or two that was either really quick or there's something in the background that's just making, it's just sort of distracting, so yeah. I do also uh, have some mild deafness from playing large pianos in tiny rooms as a child, but yeah, subtitles nice. are helpful. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I agree. I don't always turn them on, but there's, there's certainly times when I do and um, I never regret it. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I digress. There was an article all about like modern films and sound mixing and how it's very different than it used to be. And like, you're mm-hmm. none of us are alone, I guess, in that sort of perception. And um, yeah, so um, anyway, Hans Zimmer, loud soundtrack. Oh, I do. I will add that I love the Prestige. I, I didn't really uh, mention how I felt about that. That's like one of my favorite Nolan movies. Like instantly fell in love with that. Clear motivations. Um, couldn't really decide who I wanted to win in that, but I was like, ah, oh, this is. I understand where both of these fellows are coming from. Okay, well, without further ado, let's push over to. There will be blood uh, is our, our first film we're discussing in this versus mode. And, uh, you know, we're, we'll talk in a, in a few about the categories that we're going to um, kind of use to compare and contrast these two films and ultimately kind of, I guess, guide our decision on, on what, what is the superior film um, out of the two of them. But I wanted to just open it up to to get some initial impressions as we uh, usually do um, with uh, with a film when we start talking about it. So take it away, uh, Will. I'll, I'll start with you, and uh, and then we'll we'll go to May. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, I feel like I and I I said this about the last film too about Apocalypse Now, but I feel like the the last time that I watched There Will Be Blood was probably college. Cause I feel like that's when it came out was when we were back at, at Clemson and um, not to name drop schools or anything, but it was pretty awesome. But the, <laughs> it was, uh, I, I really liked it then. And I still, I think I appreciate it more now just from having watched more film since then, because back then I was still kind of in that phase where I was much more, it was easy for me to go into the default setting of just watching a film for entertainment and then maybe picking up on a few, you know, details here and there when it comes to like, cinematography or the film score and like certain themes that are like related to characters or um, about certain stylistic elements, all that good stuff. But I really enjoyed 
Daniel Day-Lewis in this film. Like to me, that was what I remember the most was just how much I remember watching him and looking at his eyes and thinking this really, he is this character. Like this is so, he is so intense in this film and I love it. I mean, he's, he can relate to a lot of like what he's going through, but at the same time, it's so much like he'll be in one moment, he'll be somebody you can relate to. And in the next moment, he's like this horrible person and, you know, just cutthroat. And so watching it and, I think that in the relationship that he has with his his adopted son, essentially, in the film, I really enjoyed. Uh, the music is great. It's like from the beginning, it's just building up this sort of eerie suspense, like what's going to happen? Everything's obviously not okay. I'm not supposed to feel okay, <laughs> you know, and it just kind of keeps building as it's going on um, up until the uh, the climax at the end of the film. And so it was, it was, yeah. you know, there's certain films that you sit in and like you were talking about with Apocalypse Now, where it's so long and that it just kind of feels long, depending on the cut that you're watching. And for me watching There Will Be Blood, it was not, it's one of those films that is long, but it doesn't feel long to me. Like I, I got swept up in it and I just kept going along for the ride. And so that's probably in a nutshell how I feel about that film. Awesome. Uh, May, how about you? So this is my first time watching it, actually. And I will say, like, in an era where it seems like every, you know, quote-unquote serious movie is two and a half hours, this did not feel like two and a, two and a half hours. Like, I, at, at the same time, it was, like, my heart was just hammering for, like, a lot of scenes, especially, like, that opening scene where there's no music. You see this guy doing this really dangerous work, and you're like, oh, God, what's 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 coming what's going to happen um but yeah no it did not feel like two and a half hours at all um I didn't I felt like every scene was very necessary um and I I don't think I as someone who's like loved films like Lord of the Rings and movies where there's sort of like evil personified I don't think I've ever seen it done quite this way where Daniel feels very much like greed and evil greed personified but in a very still human realistic way that's cool um so yeah I liked it a lot I mentioned uh before the podcast there were a couple scenes where I laughed out loud when I wasn't expecting to <laughs> uh the first one being uh when they managed to exercise a woman's arthritis I I wish that could actually be done it would be a great help to my grandmother but Sadly, we do not have Paul Dano here. <laughs> nope. And even if we did, I I, I question. <laughs> we'll talk about we'll talk about this in a second, but I question the legitimacy of uh, what he's all about. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the one that always makes me giggle. I think I responded back was uh, when uh, Daniel's brother is like Daniel from another I'm, mother. I'm your yeah. brother. <laughs> From another mother. <laughs> like, <laughs> the pause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember the theater. Um, I, probably a lot of college age kids um chuck all chuckled at that. Like it's weird. <laughs> oh, cool. I'm I'm glad. Um glad you enjoyed it. And yes, I do think Daniel Plainview, you could argue, is evil personified and uh 
it is a very, uh, you know, unique um, sort of performance and uh, just uh, listen, this is one of the first films, if not the first film of like the, you know, post 2000s that I knew when I was watching it that uh, a it was going to be like forever important. I was like, this is going to this is an all I'm seeing an all time great for the first time, but also one of you know my favorite movies and and the second movie on this list is the same thing and, and that happening twice in a year is just so spectacular and unusual um you know the with no country for old men but um this movie has got stuck like it is wedged firmly um you know at the back of my not even the back of my mind really the front of my brain i watch this at least once a year i just i can't help myself um there, i just I, I like quoting it um the soundtrack, as you pointed out, I mean, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, one of my favorite bands, um, just excellent. And uh, it's just a movie. Uh, I don't use the, ter- the term perfect often or, or um, lightly when it comes to films. But to me, this is as close to perfect as you can get for, for a movie, especially it's just so confident in what it is. Um, so. Yeah, that's my that's my take. Uh, unabashedly love 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 this movie. Uh, so I wanted to kind of I guess kick us off by um, talking about the main you know the, the two principal actors. So we have Paul Dano and Daniel Day Lewis, and each of them sort of represents uh, you know a different facet of America of the time. So you've got Paul Dano is is religion and and uh, you know. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview is sort of capitalism, you know, personified and the worst, the worst parts of capitalism personified. So I want to start off by talking a little bit about the tension between those two ideas and then how those characters like their interplay, because there's a lot of scenes that are almost like inverse uh, versions of one another. Um, So like, for example, um, Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, dragging uh paul dano literally through the mud and slapping him around and then you sort of see that play out in in reverse um you know in the the church you know he gets gets his revenge um so anything you want to discuss about that may i'll I'll let you kind of start us off with that but um how did you like the interplay between those ideas and how those characters sort of represented them yeah, so I actually really wanted to see more of uh paul dano's character eli because he is a really, he's in some ways a foil to Daniel Plainview, but he's also just way more similar than I think, um, like, well, obviously more similar than either man realize, right? Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, they each have their tool or their kind of way that they enjoy getting power over people with Daniel, it's money and with Eli is God and religion, right? Um, And... I just, I, I feel like a lot of the things I'd heard about this movie beforehand or that this is very much, you know, uh, you know, about Daniel and his kind of rivalry with this nemesis. And I felt like sort of about that, more about just Daniel and kind of how um, greed leads his life. Um, and I, I just wish I could see more of Eli because the scenes with them both were so intense in a way that you didn't feel with the other like kind of like pseudo antagonists like like Henry and other people that Daniel had problems with so yeah Yeah. I should see more of him (laughs) uh let me ask you kind of as an aside um 
did you at any point suspect or wonder because i know i did the first time i saw it and then i think i clarified it in a like an interview or something did you wonder whether or not like um eli and paul like like were they are uh paul right am i yes eli and paul were the same person did you think did you uh at any point like consider that the twins because i i was like oh i wonder if this is like he's playing stupid because there's like this moment when uh they meet where like it, it's it almost seems like maybe he's playing stupid and it, it like you know he's kind of gotten the first bit of money out of um out of daniel but i, I guess it's been clarified that they are indeed twins and separate characters but i i was like oh, this would be so weird if it's like well, I think that's rational because based on Daniel's reaction when he sees Eli, he he thinks that he's taken aback, like visibly, when he sees Eli walk up, and he knows that if it was Paul, it would really screw up his plans to get this property without paying, you know, oil prices. And it, I guess, there is a read where Paul and Eli are the same person, but yeah. I think as soon as Daniel recovered, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, no, this is definitely the twin. He mentioned having yeah. a brother. Um, but then he also knows about the oil and Paul didn't think he did, but it also seems like Paul's very detached from his family at that point. Yes. So he probably just didn't realize Eli knew. He wants his money and he wants to get the fuck out. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. Just like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to derail there. I just, um, I remember thinking like, is that like, cause that would be kind of cool and weird and like. A, a, a brilliant stroke like for this character if he essentially pretended to be somebody else and then has now grifted this man like right off the bat but somebody who's not easily fooled like for somebody who's so shrewd like i feel like daniel's um you know uh like he's fooled quite a bit like at times you know um we'll talk about like one of the like kind of the betrayals and in, in a bit but um so yeah, I, I agree with you. I could have gotten more of the two of them. There's only, I think I read like two scenes that don't feature Daniel in them. And one of them is a confrontation with Eli and his father at dinner. You're a stupid man, you know, <laughs> that whole um, bit. And then um, there's a, a, a scene, a brief scene with uh, HW and uh, Mary. Is that her name? Mary oh. Sunday. Yeah. And that's it. Um, so. Yeah, how about you, Will? Like, what, what did you do? You enjoy the sort of uh, the battle for the the souls, or, or like you know how these two characters represent, uh, you know, sort of the, the ultimate personification of of capitalism and religion. That was interesting. Some of the like the sort of the setup for the competition that we see on the one hand, like you're saying, between the two with religion and capitalism, but also like within their own families, like you were talking about with him and his father uh Eli and his father I should say but then also Eli's competition with his brother in a way mm -hmm. because at the very end of the film when Daniel is telling Eli you know when he's trying to basically break it break him down uh, that he's using his brother as this sort of this bludgeoning tool about how oh your brother was smarter than you and you should have been like your brother and you know and Paul so was the chosen like, one is what he, yeah. he specifically says yeah yeah and so it's like he uses his own religion against him he uses that competitive nature against him but in some ways too i mean that makes sense because daniel is so competitive where he would even be against his own well for who we 
presumably the one person he seems to care about at all through the entire movie besides himself is his adopted son, H.W. But then at the very end, when there was like this, even this hint in his mind, in Daniel's mind, that his, you know, that H.W. is going to be this competition now, he's like, nope you're a bastard <laughs> no one cared about you you're a bastard in a basket you know and so it's like damn you know just the the family dynamics are very interesting to me but I guess in the sense of like the brothers themselves like the idea of this the brother for Daniel that he thinks is his brother at first and then there's you know Eli and Paul and that sort of interplay where it's it's not really as predominant in the film for either of them, but it's still there enough that I found that interesting and would have liked to have explored that a little bit more for each of them and how that sort of affected their, um, their competition with each other. So, but yeah, no, I thought that was really good. Yeah. Their character arcs definitely harmonize like in a lot of really interesting ways. Um, as, as you've kind of pointed out, the family relationships definitely, um, how they how they treat people you know and like they're how, how they they kind of seek to gain um power and then really like even like uh, again you see how <laughs> they interact with each other um sort of flip-flop throughout the movie uh, as far as who has the upper hand and um you know uh neither one of them will um admit to anybody almost but each other that they're kind of not really con men but like they don't believe everything that comes out of their mouth <laughs> you know i think they're they're uh probably the 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 one person each of them like that the the other is maybe most honest uh with or understands maybe you know they probably understand each other very well whereas a lot of people might see them as a little bit more uh enigmatic enigmatic mm -hmm. um, yeah. there's also an interesting thing um like i realized later after watching the film between the two where um like they both talk about like taking care of the townspeople and like you know um one of the first kind of like very light confrontations we see between Eli and Daniels and Eli comes up to Daniel wants to dress the well but his like first question is like you know how's it going is everyone taken care of and accounted for and at first it, it comes off as him like you know you know being a man of God and genuinely caring about the town and uh, like it's easier to see through Daniel's kind of spiel at the start of the movie where he's like, oh, yeah, it's a great bring water and mills and great prosperity to everyone. And then as the movie goes along, you kind of see like there's a lot of people Eli doesn't care about. Like he never steps in to like keep his sister from being beaten, for instance. He um, really only cares about taking care of the people so that they feel then, you know, spiritually indebted to him or, you know. They see him as a, an authority figure and um i don't know i feel like that was kind of like my first inkling that these two characters are actually kind of the same person yeah no they are i think that was a, a a great point that you brought up at the kind of the top of the discussion is they are much more similar like uh, yeah they might like be coming from different places as it were but i think you're spot on like they're almost exactly like in many many ways um, what did you, so uh, what did you make of the character of um, Henry and how that unfolded? Um, it's sort of heartbreaking in a way. I think the first time that you see that, because it's like, uh, 
I don't know. It's maybe the the first time that like it clearly like I mean where I guess suppose you could argue HW is or isn't somebody that he cares for, but it, it, clearly the first time that somebody of his own flesh and blood right is there and he can confide in and he has this sort of soulful confession about I can't do this by myself anymore. Like you know my I've been building my hatred for everybody you know bit by bit and he seems to just feel a little unburdened by the fact that he's got flesh and blood and somebody that he can trust. And I think what ultimately, when you learn that it's not him and he, you know, he, he when he learns more to the point, um, you can see him mouthing. And I just picked that up on this watch, you know, like, no, like, you know, he's almost in denial about it when they're sitting by the sea and it's just like, uh, man, it's terrible. But w- what do you make of Henry and, and how all that unfolds? I have a quick question to the two of you, actually. When you, I know it's been a while, but the first time you watched it, did you see the twist coming with Henry not actually being his brother? I, I don't know that I saw. I was suspicious, but it, like, it, you know, but when Daniel was sort of put at ease the first time, I think I was as well. Um, oddly enough, because again, the first time I'm watching this, I'm like, he's such a shrewd guy. There's no fucking way. Like he's going to get taken by a grifter. Like, he, he, you know he's asking the questions he's kind of doing his diligence a little bit right so no i didn't i um was like oh he must be all right doubted in the moment that hr set the house on fire (laughs) and that little pyromaniac did his thing i'm like no he's not he's not the real deal but i don't know why he set the house on fire (laughs) it just seemed like a really poor execution like there's got to be something else you could do like (laughs) to try and get i mean like you're just trashing everything man but i did think it was kind of i I know you're not supposed it's not supposed to be funny but for me what i kind of cracked up was when (laughs) when hr is kind of like staring daniel down after he did it when daniel comes out of the house and they lock eyes and then hr like tries to or hw tries to run away and (laughs) daniel just chases him down and picks him up and just hauls him back (laughs) <laughs> that to me i just i cracked up i'm like i know this is terrible your house is burning down right now but uh that kid is pretty hilarious so but yeah i didn't trust him as soon as that happened yeah i think for me it was um i i, I didn't see that twist coming but i was like something is off about henry when uh like upon meeting henry for the first time daniel goes on this long spiel about he hates people and hates to see anyone else succeed and I'm like, even if you're kin with this person, you're hearing, you've just met him and he tells you all this. You're not like a little uncomfortable, like maybe questioning your decision to come all the way out here unless you're desperate. Yeah. Sounds like his management material. <laughs> I think he, I think he's just so desperate to tell somebody, you know, how he feels. Um, he's had it bottled up um, for, for so long and he might be a little, you know, drunk as well. I get that on Daniel's part. I just like Henry didn't oh, he- seem to react at all. To that. <laughs> oh, sticking around. I think he's just like, yeah, w- as long as there's a steady paycheck in it, buddy, you hate whoever you want, you know, it's fine. Um, the interesting little tidbit that was deleted, but a trivia is that um, there was a uh, deleted scene where as kind of part of his confession, um, he uh, tells Henry that he's impotent, sexually impotent which I think adds an element to that character. That's quite interesting, you know, to kind of read some of his, uh, I don't know, like evilness, toxic masculinity as maybe like displaced sexual frustration, perhaps a little bit, you know, um, but uh, 
but yeah, I, I did not know that. So uh, I was doing a little bit of research for, for this most recent watch. I was like, that's a very, um, I guess, deliberate decision to withhold that, you know, if it's something that they had kind of designed as part of the character. And there's no um, indication other than that you don't really see him at any point really interact with, flirt with, like, um, any women in the film, even when they're at like the brothel or whatever, you know, the salute or whatever they're supposed to be. Um, but th- I was like, I, I kind of chalked that up to like, well, this is just not that kind of movie. It's going to be any smooches, you know, like, <laughs> but did, did you never guys gonna look up? at it? I was going to say, I'm never going to look at an oil rig the same way again. I was going to say. <laughs> Especially when that thing exploded and then caught on fire. Like, holy shit. <laughs> uh yeah. Yeah, maybe they maybe that's why they left it out. <laughs> yeah. They're like it's too on the nose. <laughs> uh but yeah, overall with Henry, um yeah, no, it was really a sad moment towards the end because you you understand the desperation that would lead someone in that time to do something like that. And also just the fact it used to be way easier to take someone's identity. All you had to do is steal their journal ostensibly. Um and it's I get the anger from Daniel uh, and, and, and the fact that we've seen him set off into like violent murderous rage before um, makes it like not too surprising that that's, you know, how he deals with Henry, uh, but still sad because it's like, if anything, this person's actually, you know, a con man like yourself and maybe can actually relate to you in a way no one else has been able to because Daniel seems pretty profoundly lonely. In fact, I think that's, you know, as you mentioned, like a lot of why he confides in Henry and is willing to kind of not ask too many questions uh, when he does come. I guess it's any sort of trickery that he finds to be a threat when somebody, I, I don't know, just something about how even if they're able to relate to each other, it's the fact that he didn't see it coming that probably just, that's, that's it. You're the enemy now. Or maybe he just re- was really hoping he had a brother and then felt so crappy afterwards because it wasn't really flesh and blood for him. Or that he had a brother he never knew whether or not he trusted anything else that Henry mentioned about why his brother died. But yeah, that was that was really sort of surprising. Like in a way I could, I could understand why he did it from his character's perspective. But at the same point, it's like, interesting to see like his self-destructive tendencies were you know very much there and then sort of progressed through the rest of the film he certainly doesn't like oh go ahead i was gonna say can we talk about the balls on bandy for like discovering his gun and ostensibly the fact he just dug a grave handing him back his gun and being like yeah just show up at church (laughs) yeah It's all good, Just buddy. That's the Lord. <laughs> I, I, I love the line too when Daniel's like, give me the blood, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> like he's just like, this is fucking nuts. Like, yeah, give me the blood, baby. <laughs> like he is so uncomfortable in that whole baptism scene. Um yeah, I I don't know. Like he doesn't like being made a fool of. So I think a lot of it comes down to like he feels foolish. Um, he tends to square off. Um, most angrily when he feels like somebody is like insulted him um you know the scene where the guy uh asks about his son um one too many times or it kind of implies that he's not currently getting the care and love that he deserves and if he were to sell his interest then you know he, he can 
you know, be a proper dad. And then he's like threatens to cut his throat or whatever. Um, and I think Henry's sort of like a, you know, emblematic of that, of like somebody's made a fool of me and I need to erase all traces of that. Like, I don't want any reminder that somebody was able to basically infiltrate my soul, you know, and, and, um, make me, you know, or, you know, inspire me to kind of confess these things that I've held inside. Like, um, you know, it's just, it's just a profound betrayal. I think that just ultimately he can't deal with or live with. So he's got to erase it. Um, one last thing I want to talk about before we move on to our categories, uh, to make this super quick is, uh, is the title. Cause I think both of these movies have, uh, interesting, awesome titles. So what's your interpretation of the title of there will be blood? Is it just prophetic of the ending? Like, what, what do you think? Well, I have to give it high scores compa- compared to Blade Runner, of course, because no blades in Blade Runner, but plenty of blood and there will be blood. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a point for that. Um, I mean, I it's, it's a threat, obviously. And I think it's, um, I don't know. I don't have like very sophisticated thoughts on it, but I associate it with the fact that there's, blood in the sense of the blood literally getting mixed in with the oil as they're pumping from people getting killed um and there's the blood in the church and then there's the blood at the end obviously with the two men fighting but it it just seems like the track that these men are set off set upon because of their greed and ambition is going to leave blood inevitably no matter their path yeah how about you will yeah i would say it was just the competition that for me was that was where I, I saw the title coming from was definitely the we're gonna it's a fight to the death <laughs> one of us is gonna be the victor at the end awesome. and that's pretty I'll... much all i've got <laughs> no no it's perfect yeah like i said short short as long uh i i love both of those interpretations yeah for me it's always sort of been like uh the violence of like capitalism and religion you know um both of those things um we're held up as like being these grand ideas, you know, and still are, I think to a large extent as part of like American culture. And I think like, it's kind of saying the title is like, you know, okay, maybe, but also there's a very human cost (laughs) and a very ugly side to, to, to both of these things that are held up as like pillars of, of American society. Right. So yeah, lovely stuff. Uh, no need to take a stance in this episode, but I do want to introduce the judging categories. Um, before I do that, I, I caught a glimpse of, uh, May's board, uh, back there. So, um, I have, I have that. And I actually, I do have a question for the two of you. I'm really curious about, uh, which is I, I was kind of surprised, I guess, at, at the main tension in this movie, because I have generally like looking back through history seen, um, you know, sort of like gr- how greed operates through the church and how greed operates through, um, you know, the economy is generally going hand in hand. Like if you look way back to like uh, the old Catholic church in Europe um, and like how people generally kind of, I don't know, I just, I see them as being tied together, not necessarily in opposition to one another. So I thought it was really interesting how that happened in this film. Um, I don't know if either of you have have thoughts on that um, or like necessarily saw them as uh, opposing forces or not. 
Yeah, I, I think there's some connective tissue like drawn in this movie. Like Eli sort of um, implies that the stock market crash has fucked him out of a lot of wealth that he was able to accumulate in the years between when they last saw each other. Um, obviously, the subject of money comes up many times with him, with Daniel, and he says, oh, it's for improvements for the church and, and everything. But I think as the film goes on, like you realize like, nah like he's he's trying to build a, a power base of his own and and you know accumulate wealth um you know as there's say, an like, allusion to like televangelism as well which is yeah a huge way uh people can build wealth in america so yeah i think there's some connective tissue there like i i think they're in opposition of each other i don't think it's like um so much as like polarizing ideas so much as like polarized men you know but i um i don't know like um i i I thought there was enough there where i was like now he's just as greedy he's just a different um i don't know like a, a a jungle cat of a different variety right like one's a lion one's a tiger like they're both going after the sheep so to speak i guess or the antelope whatever um how about you will yeah i just felt like they both wanted to be I guess sort of thinking about the competition too, since money is sort of the the result of being the best at whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, trying to provide for your church or your, if that, in this instance, I'm not trying to make, like, I'm not trying to paint broad strokes, so please right. don't hate me all. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, in the context but, of the film. <laughs> yes, in yes. the context of the film, yes. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like in this instance, it's easy to understand where you have, you know, it's sort of like anytime you have any sort of power, it's easy to get corrupted by it. And so if you are either the, you know, the best business in town and you want to knock out your competition, then it's easy to want to take the, the tact of, you know, cutting corners and being ruthless and outsmarting your competition, however you think is the best way to do it and justify what you do because you think you're protecting yourself or you're protecting your investments or whatever it is. Um, I think that when it comes, conversely, I always felt like Eli just really wanted to feel important. I think that there's probably some stuff that we never saw between him and his dad that finally boiled over in the scene where he physically assaults his dad. Uh, I would have been interested to have seen that. And, you know, there's a lot of question about his how he felt important compared to his brother which that can definitely you can hit a few biblical notes on that one if you wanted to you know talk talk the bible and that but um i think that it's easy to understand him as wanting to feel important and wanting to feel like he was good at what he did and wanting to feel like a a decent leader but also sort of falling into the same trap of either being you know harping on the money issue or trying to be you know a better trying to push his weight around with Daniel and get what he wanted and use Daniel's influence to kind of position himself as well like in the scene where he's asking Daniel to you know before they start the oil drill to mention a few words about the church and about presenting or presenting Eli as being the one who you know helped facilitate that there's a very specific way that he wants himself introduced to Mm -hmm. like it's very grandiose you know his already at that point like his view of himself and how important he is to the community mm-hmm. he even says this wouldn't have happened if you had let me bless the well you know when a worker dies yep yep so 
Yeah, so I think it's very easy. I think the corruption aspect is very easy to see with that. And for any situation where if you, you know, you let it get too far, then it's easy to justify the next step that you take. So. Uh, if you're interested in money and religion, um, that might be one of the few redeeming qualities of Godfather three. When we get around to watching that is like, there's <laughs> nice. like the main plot of that film has got to do with like a large bit of money that the church wants from, uh, Michael Corleone and, yeah. uh, his organization. So just when he tries to get out, they pull him back in, back in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, just so to introduce the, um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Board, board. Um, yeah. Yes. Please. Okay. This is a quick one. All right. Over under, I like doing these budget questions. Uh, do you think that the budget for there will be blood, uh, was over under or exactly equal to 40 million? I think I need to do more homework, uh, yeah. before these podcasts, because <laughs> this has been a consistent theme that I should have picked up on a long time ago. I'm going to say under. Okay. But not well, much. I don't know. I'm gonna say over. <laughs> Just have to be different. That's um, true. <laughs> so uh, Chris was correct. Uh, the budget was actually 25 million, and I'm guessing a lot of that was just because like the 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 props are very like simple frontier building, right? <laughs> Seems like most of the special effects went into the actual like oil well and the explosion. Which that scene yeah. was awesome. Terrifying and awesome. Yeah. Oddly, uh, a bit of trivia connection to the next movie we're going to talk about. That uh, sequence when they were filming it interrupted the filming of No Country for Old Men because <laughs> they were filming in the same area and that big black plume of smoke was visible and it ruined all their shots for the day. So they came over and watched uh, the derelict uh, scene. The Coen brothers came wow. over and that's amazing that's yeah. cool that that was like to me like i never mind we'll talk about this when we get to the scoring anyway i have thoughts on the scene yeah nice. oh yeah it's it's definitely uh it's again memorable um so no need to come down but i, I do want to like introduce like the categories that we'll be talking about it and i picked um categories that these films were up against each other for at the academy awards in 2000 seven um so best picture that's going to be kind of like our overall package judging criteria uh screenplay so we're going to talk about the uh the scripts and, and writing and evaluate each of them on that uh director so um you know the coen brothers and pt anderson both have a very distinct uh style and and stamp that they put on a movie um cinematography uh which just as much as uh, I think this film is gorgeous, the other one is too. Um, and Roger Deakins, who did Blade Runner 2049 and, and a bunch of other really, really amazing films, um, worked on No Country. So that'll be interesting to talk about. And then finally, acting. Um, technically speaking, Javier Bardem was a supporting actor nomination, whereas uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was um, lead actor. Uh, but I still uh, wouldn't mind con contrasting those two fellers when we get to uh to that discussion because i think they're equally memorable roles and that might have been the one saving grace <laughs> that they they um uh, you know divided those um nominations like it probably made it a bit easier to choose between them because i think it would have been maybe the hardest choice um <laughs> had they gone up against each other like genuinely um so yeah no need to, to come down on anything uh 
but there's your there's your category so start mulling it over um <clears throat> as we uh move into the next episode we'll uh, uh obviously um you know uh pick a winner for each and uh we'll, we'll tally up the scores and see who comes out on top awesome anybody want to add anything before we kind of wind down and uh, go into our final segment. The one moment when I was like kind of cheering for Daniel is when he like, like kind of confronts Mary's dad about beating her, but he yeah. does it in the creepiest way possible. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't talk to him. Does he? He's like, no, no more hitting, no more hitting. <laughs> like, and he does it by grabbing her. He like gut punches her and grabs her. <laughs> Yeah, that's not then takes a big better, old dude. swig off his flask too, like right after if memory serves. Yeah, um, like you almost got a point. Yeah, you almost, you almost did. <laughs> yeah, uh, he undoes that quite a bit by the end. I think contrasting the most heartbreaking moment is the final um, conversation with HW. Um, that tears me up every single fucking time I watch it. He's just like th- there is no doubt, like his intention is to just completely rip him to pieces before he like, walk, you know, walks out of that room. Like he he he's competition to. then. Uh, I'm also like super pissed. I actually looked up when ASL was like invented and like deaf schools became commonplace. They were widespread at this time. Like he could have easily have learned just like some basic sign language to communicate with his son. And Does he, he strike you as somebody refused. like who would do that though? No. Like, like ostensibly <laughs> ostensibly when hw was at least like a little kid he did like love and care about him yeah maybe there's that question that you know i think that's an interesting debate because marianne and i last night were so like going back and forth i'm like do you think he really like at any point in this movie like loves him i was like i feel like he does i feel like he feels guilty when he sends him away and you know um like he does feel and then she was like yeah but then she's like do you think it's maybe a perception thing where he's like more embarrassed by like what other people are saying about him and i was like oh that's a good point and so i went back and forth but mm-hmm. yeah he he wouldn't even go see mr bandy out at the bandy track sure shit ain't learning uh asl man <laughs> <laughs> people have to come to him and you know meet him on his terms that's why he's like you know see that's not so hard like yeah yeah I I think that when he was a kid, there was like a little bit of love. Like it, it does seem like Daniel has a very tiny soft spot for children specifically. Yeah. Perhaps in a creepy way, but he does have a soft spot for children. Yeah. Awesome. Um, one last little character thing is like, I noticed that um, he speaks almost explicitly in like the imperative, like too. I don't know if you noticed that he's like, so when I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. Like, like there is like never a question. I just love the way that guy fucking talks. Like mm-hmm. it, uh, there is not uh, anything up for debate. <laughs> it's just declarative and imperative <laughs> sentences, period, the end. Um, just masterful. Cool. Well, uh, let's play a quick game. So this is going to be a new one um, for uh, the audience members. Uh, this is called Shot in the Dark. So um, prior to starting the podcast, we compiled a list of uh, about 10 films or so each uh, of films that we'd never seen with the intention that one of our lovely co-hosts will choose one and we will attempt to explain what we believe to be the plot of this film based on pop culture knowledge, what's bled through, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so we're going to do our best to 
explain the plot of a film we've never seen. And our uh, our other co-host will, uh, you know, probably laugh at us and, um, you know, ultimately, hopefully <laughs> tell us how accurate we are. And maybe give us some hints along the way. We'll see. Some hints. Yeah. <laughs> we're feeling nice. Um, so does anybody want to volunteer to go? Uh, and if you all need the list, I can, uh, can always pop it over. It is in our little, uh, shared, um, Google sheet or spreadsheet. We said we had lots of spreadsheets. That was not a lie. We do have many. Anybody I think we should do a, a little name generator or yeah. a randomizer. A randomizer. I, think, I think we should leave it to chance. Yep. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> Um, this is just the order our names are from left to right in the Google Docs. So I'm one, May is two, and Will is three. So here we go. And it is three. So, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so, Will, in your, uh, you know, best estimation, what is the plot of where the wild things are? Spike Jones directed film starring James Gandolfini. You, I think you might have already gotten a hint uh, on one of our prior podcast discussions, but we it was like a brief aside. But where somebody dies, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Don't say don't no no spoilers. <laughs> I'm not saying a word. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like if I remember this, because I remember this book as a kid, but so if the movie is true to the book and if my memory of, of, as a kid is true at all or even remotely close, then I should There's a lot of ifs in this statement, Will. Yeah, it's not declarative. No, no, no. come on. Inter, yeah. your, inner plane view. Give me your inner plane view, buddy. Like... I am an oil man. <laughs> and this is my this is my associate, HW. Um, I, I think that... Uh, <laughs> explain a movie plot badly uh kid goes out into the woods pretends to play with monsters and somebody gets hurt you gotta go no i want you to take me the whole the, journey the down. whole thing the whole yeah, thing yeah well okay uh, i i will affirm that uh there is a child and he does go into a, a wilderness <laughs> and there are things that he finds they are there and he interacts with them, uh, and he comes to deal with some sort of mm, childhood issue that probably has to do with, I'm going to say it's one of two things. There's either an issue with a parent, or he's going through depression, or he is dealing with, like, he doesn't have friends. Does he not have friends? And that's why he creates these creatures that he wants to go spend time with in the woods <laughs> so far so i mean you're not doing bad okay yeah. yeah so so what happens um what do you imagine would transpire you know um once he uh meets these monsters he goes on exciting adventures he has to deal with some evil monster that he's created in his mind that he joins forces with the other monsters to fight and then I will say he defeats this other monster. <laughs> uh, and learns something about himself and his own inner confidence that he didn't know that he had. <laughs> and I feel like that's not going to be what happens. But I'm going to throw it out there anyway, because that's the story I would have liked to have seen. <laughs> would you like a hint? 
Yes, I would. Uh, there are things like eaten and not eaten. Oh, well, that's <laughs> exciting. <laughs> Do you have any guesses or suggestions? I hope it's not the kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping it's one of his imaginary friends that gets eaten, but uh, now I, I really don't trust anything now i uh hmm. something's i'm going to find out there's going to be a twist that i'm not going to like where he's going to end up like dead <laughs> no no <laughs> he I gets cancer you. and he dies <laughs> no. oh my god <laughs> this movie um, is yeah it's if someone if someone were to lose a body part which part do you think he was i want to say he's going to lose a uh, oh <laughs> so he's going to lose a foot perhaps <laughs> max is going to i said <laughs> is someone is someone is that the kid is the kid is max okay jeez i gotta go back and read this kid's book again <laughs> i want to be like what was i thinking um i want to say loses a leg somebody loses a leg okay someone loses we're gonna go leg. we're going with max loses a leg <laughs> <laughs> Max, this is the leg. Amazing! <laughs> wow. And then he has I, to I think crawl like Daniel play playing view back to back to his house. I think you're thinking of how to train your dragon, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not gonna lie, also a great story. So, so ultimately, Should we save you know, him. <laughs> well, I I want to ask one more question. So ultimately, he's you know like it's got to come to a, a close. Uh, yeah. Something's got to motivate him to return you know back to like the <laughs> to his uh world realm whatever uh what do you suppose that would be to, uh, exp do you take your best stab at like why he'd want to leave it's the end of the day and he's hungry <laughs> and it's time to go home <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad guess it's not right it's not... <laughs> as most kids do i'm hungry uh, uh play time story time imagination time is over and i mean so it's not completely wrong either <laughs> no 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 it's it's not <laughs> uh or i was gonna say like asterisk <laughs> Some scenes may be excluded from that explanation, but um... La last question. Overall, how would you just how do you imagine the tone? If you had to sum up the tone of this movie you've never seen in one word. Um fantastical. All right, May, I'll let you do the honors. <laughs> you, you can be the judge on this one. So how how did Will do in accuracy? Okay. okay. <laughs> First. Uh... I give I we we doing a five point scale or a ten point scale. Ten, let's do ten. <laughs> that might be helpful to help cushion it a little bit. Yeah, say. Um, I three out of ten. I was actually going to say three out of ten. I'm sorry. Noise. I'll give you I'll give you four. So you did acknowledge that, yeah, the the impetus of like why he is like leaving and. The, the normal world and going to this magical place is he's basically a lonely unhappy boy um and his parents are divorced so you got the you know parental thing there uh and like uh his like older sister's friends are mean to him so you also got the friend thing so there you go um but yeah the so he goes to the place where the wild things are and 
there's a lot of stuff that happens. I pulled up the Wikipedia thing just to remind myself of everything. Um, and it's a lot, but basically he finds these like magical monsters and they, they treat him as the king and it's all very fun. And then suddenly it's not a bunch of the monsters like throw temper tantrums and there's like some uh like a kind of a climax where one of the monsters named carol rips off another monster's arm <laughs> oh snap okay there's no blood apparently they're made of sand so sand pours out um because you know kids movie uh but then uh someone but then one of them tries to eat max and then max hides in another monster's stomach to avoid being eaten solid. um and solid plan uh, <laughs> uh max escapes the stomach is kind of put off by all of the monsters acting crazy kind of like understands more of what his mom's going through because he's also been acting out and he goes goes home and he has some soup so he was hungry <laughs> nice did i leave anything out chris no um i think that pretty well covers it uh the tone of this movie i would say is morose like that's the thing yeah. that i remember watching it um so like it, where the book is like all about you know rompuses and like you know like letting your inner child energy out and your imagination run free this is like imagine if he got to like the monsters and they just all had existential crisis crises and like just were not fun or happy and they kind of put all their eggs in the basket of max like he's kind of like this brief like little light and then they realize that like he's actually not all that cool or awesome and then like they attempt to kill him. <laughs> like basically or at least one of them does it's so, like yeah, Cormac it's... mccarthy remade this book <laughs> yeah i um yeah this is totally could not be more different from the book so but i think you did an all right job man like well yeah. done like i mean that's what's Sweet. fun about these is like <laughs> we've not seen the movie so you have to go off of the trailer that you probably saw with everybody else with arcade fire which made me think the movie was gonna be maybe a little more like whimsical and fun but uh, yeah cool nice. well i'll tell you the last yeah hey like i said man easier said than done right i i was looking at my list i was like oh god uh, yeah i kind of um, flopped mine i'm looking forward to it yeah. <laughs> um yeah i think we should do another one of those uh for part two like just swap um host that'd be mm -hmm. fun well, that does it. Uh, I cannot wait to talk about this next movie. Um, there's a lot of similarities and setting and some other things, but it is a completely different ride and a uh, movie I love equally um, as much as uh, as there will be blood. It's just a different kind of film. So very excited to see one of the all-time great movie villains, Javier Bardem, who is such a lovely person in real life. If you've ever seen interviews or anything, like he's such a sweet like um i don't know like artists like he really just loves the arts and he's just not at all like his character but he's fucking scary as anton shigur as we'll see here shortly um so watch along with us and uh we'll also declare a winner next episode so you'll know according to screen quest what's the better movie definitively which is really the only list that you need to to have um, when it comes to these two films so you can just <laughs> We'll, we'll change i'll update the wikipedia page um to to reflect it actually under the accolade section i wonder if i could do that um we should we should see you know that'd be cool I mean, you can the question is how long it stays up 
that is true i mean it's not <laughs> fault like we you can say like, sc- screen screen quest uh you know nominated for like <laughs> we have to come up movie. with a we have to come up with like a, a name for the screen quest awards a screedy yeah. a questy a screeny, a questy yeah <laughs> a squesty yeah um, <laughs> um we should uh we should call them um sethies after grandpa seth that's what they should be yeah this is just disembodied head <laughs> floating in a you've mirror. already got your theme song your theme music to play it oh grandpa seth. <laughs> amazing all right uh well let's bring this home um you can follow us at screen quest pod on twitter uh, please do engage with us like share subscribe all of that great stuff and we'll see you next week we love you Bye-bye. bye 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 guys <laughs>